0: Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. What's the secret to making a beautiful garden? How do you turn the patch at your back door into a space that's not just a collection of plants, but one that suits your personality and makes you happy? Hello, I'm Lucy, and today I'm exploring the idea of how to turn your dream garden into reality with a man who's made more gardens than most, from his time as presenter of Gardener's World and of Ground Force and Love Your Garden. This is, of course, Alan Titchmarsh. In his highly personal take on making a garden, he reveals the key steps he always takes when creating one, how to know when it's time for change, and the mistakes he's made along the way. But first, I asked him to share with us, what does a dream garden mean to him?
1: Well, the dream is is an escape, but it's an escape, in the case of the garden, to reality, because it's your only chance, I think, to make make a dream come true, to make your dream. I mean, gardens, particularly during the, the past few months, have been our most people's salvation, really. They've been a chance to reconnect with nature, to get in touch, to shed the worries of the world. Gardening has always been like that for me. It's always been um, a kind of... Um, Solace, um a secret haven, really, which makes it sound as though I've been either very unhappy in life or I don't like reality. It's not that, it's just that particularly today, with the pace of life being so rapid, you're given a chance. If and nobody likes every single thing about their daily life, there are bits in it that are obviously more unpleasant and some that are more pleasant than others, but you get a chance with a little bit of earth around your garden, which seems such a simple thing so simple that many people don't even realise it's a possibility. You get a chance to make, if not perfection, then your idea of a little bit of heaven. Now things go wrong with it, and it doesn't always grow the way you want it to grow and pests and diseases come, all that. But you've got to park that, because look upon any little square of earth as a chance to make magic, to make a dream. Uh, And that dream is your own individual idea of a little perfect world, a world uh, in which to uh, escape the greater worries um, and to surround yourself with beauty, with calming influences, with features and things that give you spiritual uplift. It's the most underrated occupation uh, not, um, you don't necessarily get paid for this occupation, but think to occupy yourself with in the world. You, with the help of nature, playing a large hand, are in charge. You can make whatever you want and it will grow. It's not just like painting a picture, which stays, or furnishing a room, which stays. It's a living, breathing, moving thing. And in that respect, you are allowed to dabble in dreams, and I really do believe gardens are dreams. I came home from a month away, um, two days ago. So I hadn't been in my garden, this side of the water, I've got a little garden on the Isle of Wight, we have been there for a month for holiday. And I came back. I broke my ankle when I was over there. <laughs> so it was slightly, <laughs> It was slightly longer <laughs> than was intended. I was there a few more days than I should. And I came back, and maybe it was because... I was frustrated, um, you know, all those things. But I'd been away from my garden for a month when I came. The sun was shining when I came home. And I went round the garden on crutches, right the way around four acres, because I thought, I'm doing this. I'm going. I'm going to do it. And I did. I looked at the end of the day, and I'd done nearly 3,000 steps on crutches, which must count for an awful lot more when you've got two feet. And I ended up in a on a bench in a corner in the sunshine. And I felt quite emotional. Because I realised I'd come back to my main dream. And I also realised, and I said out loud to myself, sitting on this bench in the evening sun, gosh, did you do the right job for a living? Or did you do the right job? And I've always wanted to do it from being about nine or ten. And I, you know, as you know, I became an apprentice at 15 and started gardening for a living. And it has just got better. And it's because I get a chance to live the dream. And that's what it is. Having made the dream, I can live in it. And it's, it is It is an escape, but it's real. So it's not as if you're um, doing something which is out of the real world and, and into a pretend one, which is actually make-believe it's not there. There's nothing more real than this little world I inhabit in my garden. And the fact that I've been able to make it with a dirty grape began from nature is
0: such a delight. Amazing. To have, to have not only the most amazing clock collection, but also <laughs> just... <laughs> you're going to be on a winding day on a
1: Sunday. There's <laughs> about twenty-six. Anyway, go on.
0: Wow, wow.
1: They don't all chime.
0: Well, that's a blessing. <laughs>
1: There we are. Sorry. Normally I have them well synchronised. They're not normally this far apart, but I've been away for a You've couple of weeks. You've been away. You can years. tell. You've been oh, it's just
0: yeah. brilliant. But um, yeah. just, just Sorry, back to man. the side. No, no. It's, actually, yeah. it's lovely because this is, this, is, this is home. This is real, isn't it? Yeah. And that's that's yeah. what these podcasts are all about. Is, it's, we're coming into your home. So fair enough. Your home is coming to us. We love it. So what's the, the, the dream is very – it's a big picture dream, isn't it? Um, but at what point did you sort of start to form the idea of – you know, how that dream really dictates how you mark out the ground, how you how you do make some of those memories come to life. You know, what is it I think what you've is got it what, to, having established the idea? Where do you go next?
1: I think you've got to be patient at the beginning. Gardeners are by their very nature patient, but I think when they're making a garden, they tend to rush at it. I've got to get this sorted. I want to do it. I want to make it beautiful, blah, 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 all those things. So you, you tend to go to it like a bullet to gate. And it's quite difficult to get yourself to slow down and watch the, the really obvious things that you know you need to know. You need to know the path of the sun. You need to know where it is in the morning. And of course, it's going to be different. It's going to be lower in winter than it is in summer. You don't want to know where it's, Starts and where it stops. You want to work out which parts of your garden are in shade, which are in full sun. You need to know what the soil's like. Is it too heavy and it's going to need a lot of organic matter to lighten it up? Is it too sandy and light? It's going to need a lot of organic matter to get it to hold on to moisture. So you've got to do all the box ticking first and all the logistics to work out the Im- immutables you know the ones that are not going to change and try and work with them And when you've done all that and you've looked at where the big trees are casting shade and things then it's the old thing making the list of what you want in that garden and you know the greenhouse the shed the compost heap the flower border whatever the pond um and then you've got to decide where they're going to go and you'll find that some of them you can't fit in so this whole logistical exercise, which is really quite basic and, and sometimes frustrating because you're not onto the, the esoteric spiritual bit yet, you're still very pragmatic, but it's got to be done, not only to save you time later on when you put something in the wrong place it dies, but also money. So you've got to do that. But that said, I've never been a really pronounced paper planner Because paper is paper and it's flat and it's two-dimensional and and out there it's three-dimensional. And I like to plan my garden, as I call it, on the sod, uh, actually out there on the ground and stick bamboo canes in for where a tree might go and mark things out with um, lumps of pieces of string or those lovely builder's markers and look from all kinds of places and look from the bedroom windows and the house windows to see what you will see, to see what views will be enhanced and what views will be ruined if you put something there. And this makes it sound hugely complicated. It it isn't really because you you can write this list down of what you need to do and just work your way through it because it's so obvious. But if you go at it like a bullet again, like, oh, I'm having a pond, and you go out with your spade and you dig a it, well, it'll be where you wanted something else, really, won't it? So it does make sense to plan, but I don't want to sort of overface people with saying, if you can't plan, you can't have a garden. The most important thing is to create somewhere that you enjoy being. And I always think that about gardens, for instance, at Chelsea Flower Show. A lot of them are very nice to look at, the ones that i feel are the best gardens are the ones i want to go in and be surrounded by and that's what a garden is so three dimensional that it envelops you you're not just looking at height depth width you you're being surrounded and kind of cuddled by a garden I especially i do like sharp things in a garden. I like good line. I like borders and beds and um, certain areas to, to to have a degree of sharpness about them. But within that sharpness, I quite like billowing and bountifulness. And I also learned, and I learned coming here when we came to this house, um, which is the one I did immediately after I'd done Gardener's World at Bollywood. Wood. Um, it's an old sort of four-square Georgian farmhouse. It looks like a doll's house. It's mellow brick. And it sits in the middle of its plot with a, a bit of meadow behind it, which I I extended. I managed to buy a bit of farmland. So ostensibly, it's in the middle of its garden. Um, and I, I did a terrace that w- on the sunny side so we could sit in the sun, uh, and then a, a lawn, and then I did curving borders. And it something wasn't working and i don't know why i've done lovely lines nothing too fussy just arched and of course if you just remember that there aren't many rules in gardening but some that are worth in garden design some that are really worth remembering and that is off the house off an angular house angles work better than curves uh and i've got this curve board and it just wasn't looking right so i thought hang on a minute i've got a, a, a terrace here, which is rectangular. I've got a rectangular border. I've got a, a lawn, which is flat on one side, but then I've done a big curve at the other. I'm getting into my sinuous curves too early. I made the other side of the lawn angular, and it then complemented the house, and behind that border, I then put the curves. you see what I mean? So that you start always, I think, I like a garden to reflect the angles of a house, but then to fray into, uh, this sounds grand because it's like a big garden to fray into the countryside. I mean, if you're in the semi and there's another garden at the end of yours, it's different. It still works on that smaller scale. Do the hard lines next to the house and then gradually get more uh, loose, more frayed, more... Uh, less symmetrical and and more relaxed as you get further away from the house.
0: And suddenly it, it all comes together. Oh, why didn't I do that before? I should know. <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> I mean, this obviously is, you know, your, your kind of biggest garden to date. You've, you've had small gardens. So, and, you know, week in, week out on um, Ground Force uh, and on Love Your Garden, you're making small gardens as well as big gardens, mm. you know. So where do you get the most pleasure you know because a small garden is arguably harder than a than a big garden isn't it Oh, it's,
1: no, it's, it's not easier to paint a portrait miniature than it is to paint a large three foot by four foot canvas of a portrait. It's equally complicated, but the same rules, if there are rules, I hate using the word rules, but the same guidelines apply. It just shrinks. It's like the balloon, which has got print on it. And when you let the balloon down, the print's still there, but it's that much more intense. And that's just what it is in a small garden. You're working on the same principles and again, these hard line bits work, you'll get into the curves quicker in a smaller garden than you will in in stately acres. Um, But the rules are the same. The delight and the pleasure in creating a new garden is not in any way uh, equated to, the, to its size. It's the challenge that the particular piece of ground offers and ground force and love your garden now. They are very challenging. A lot of, you know, whether it's just concrete that has to be got up or, or a slope or intransigent soil and intractable soil, horrible stuff. Um, there's always a challenge. Nobody has the perfect spot and the perfect soil. And it's a challenge, but plants want to grow, is my line. It's up to us not to get in the way and just to try and make it a bit easier for them. So the challenge is always there, whatever it is. And there's always that head-scratching moment. Oh, you look at it, and, oh, in, we call it up north. Well, you need to mither. Now, and I do it all the time. Whenever I'm tackling a garden for myself or other people, it's going oh, you get a bit wormy. Oh, I don't know. And you have to keep saying to yourself, if it doesn't work, you can change it. If you put something in and it's not happy or it doesn't look right there, you can move it. We tend to get into this
0: mindset of, oh, my God, it's going to go wrong.
1: Uh, Calm down, dear. It's only a garden.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But of course, this garden must have been a liberation because you had years of filming in front of the cameras, making gardeners' world. The, The nation was landing at your doorstep every Friday and you had to entertain them. You had to do things. So it wasn't as if oh, well, I'll think about this for a little bit longer. You had to. And you had a whole lot of boots arriving on your doorstep. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) talk us through that one and what you were thinking when you moved to the new place. It must have been... Well, you tell me, liberating or, or
1: otherwise. It was it was liberating for the plants because they could only be planted once and they could stay. When I was doing Gardens World, you're planting them three times: once on a wide shot, once on a mid shot, once in close. And the poor things were dizzy by the time they'd finished. Um, so yes, um, th- th- it was liberation. And the camera crew, I'd been filming in my garden, not just for Gardens World, but for Breakfast Time and, and other programs before that. So we'd filmed in my garden, uh, two gardens, a very tiny one. Our first garden when we got married was 40 feet by 10, so 5.15. So Tiny Patch, we'd filmed in there for breakfast time and nationwide. Uh, then we filmed at, at Barleywood for Gardener's World. And I was given a little sign when we left Barleywood by the producer, Colette Foster. We, well, My wife was given the sign, and the sign said no admittance to film crew." Uh, and until this year, la- last year, we, we hadn't had a film crew in the garden. for To celebrate my um, 70th birthday, ITV very quickly said, look, we like to do a programme about it, could we film in your garden? And then you at Gardeners World said, well, if they are, can we... Well, come on, I'd be churlish to say no. And Jonathan Buckley had photographed it because I agree with my wife that so I could have photographs taken and do a book about the new garden. But it was a... It, it is a relief, really. It, but the thing is, you miss sharing it. The pressure isn't there to do things quite as rapidly. And what had happened by the time I got to my, the end of my um, six-year stint on Gardener's World, um, they the other presenters occasionally came to my garden. And then the controller of the channel decided she liked that so much, they came every week. And that meant that my garden was not only my garden, it was being gardened by other people, whom I'm very fond of, you know, Joe Swift, Chris Beardshaw, Pippa Greenwood, would all come and do something in a corner. Well, that meant I had to have a piece of ground ready for them to do their creativity in as well. And it became really quite difficult. I thought, let's just have a, a break, you know. But That said, I do miss sharing it. Um, And so it's been lovely to do it through the book, through My Secret Garden, through pieces I write for you at Gardener's World. Uh, But yeah, um, but I still garden every bit as much as I did because that was another reason for doing the book and for letting the cameras in. Because people say, I don't suppose you bother now, do you know? Now that the cameras don't come anymore. I'm a gardener. No, I can't not. You know, it's what I do of choice. It's why I never go to football matches on a Saturday,
0: because I'm gardening. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's that that whole busman's holiday thing. What do you do at the weekend? Well, of course I go out and garden. I mean... I do.
1: um, And in all weathers. um, I mean, if it's absolutely persisting down now, I'll stay in and write a column. (laughs) Of course I do. But... When the sun is shining, it's shining out. I'm looking out of my, my window at the sun shining on on my wildlife pond and water lily pants and an iris is coming up now. And don't look at it, Alan. It's be there when you've finished. It's okay, you know. I have to be out. I mean, and it's such a delight. And as I say, you know, when I sit on that bench in the corner in the sunshine, I do it sounds very twee and Pollyanna-ish playing the glad game. Um but I know that I'm in the right line. I've been allowed to do lots of other things as well you know, music, classic FM, the proms, chat shows, interviewing, which I love nosy Parker, really just interested in people but at the heart of it is a gardener who gardens and that'll be the last thing to go when i can't lift a spade you know
0: yes you'll be you'll be under it
1: (laughs) i'll be i'm happy to contribute
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's this thinking about design and thinking about what you were saying earlier about the dream and the space designers often talk about this spirit of the place you know, mm. making the garden that's not only right for you, but right for where you are. I think that's quite a hard concept for many people to, to grasp. So so tell us, how did you go about finding that? And, you know, where where do you look? How do you get to that notion of, of of the right garden in the right place? Well, I suppose
1: it boils down in the end to experience. But it's, there's a degree of subjectivity in the, you know, the genius of the place. It's, It's not often, not always, patently obvious what you should do, but you need to make something around a house that, for you, is comfortable with that house, for you. I remember once having a a real argument with Germaine Greer, who was telling me that French marigolds were naff. And I said, well, who says? She said, well, they are, they just are. And I said, well, we'll just analyse that. When they were born, (laughs) French marigolds, they're bright. I have two large tubs of French marigolds outside where I'm sitting now, uh, which Alice said, Oh, plant those. I said, They're jolly bright flowers. They've been stonking all the way through the summer. What makes that, well, fashion, yes. But that's not objective, that's subjective. Uh, And so that boils down in the end to doing something which doesn't jar with the house. And I guess here, in a way, we're talking about houses that are good-looking to start with, you know, behind a row of terrace houses, or there are very handsome terrace houses, but it's, it's a stone or a brick wall, isn't it, that you're actually gardening from there. So the genius of the place, really only starts to come in when you've got a house of a particular style which perhaps stands on its own all that kind of thing it's rather pompous to say when you're living in as most of us do I'm very lucky all right I'm in a Georgian house sitting in a bit of ground so that as a a place but most people don't and you can't say to them now you need to study the Aegean oh give over (laughs) it needs to sit comfortably with the house either to contrast with it or to complement it in some way, um, and if it's a thatched cottage, of course everybody wants to do hollyhocks and amarylls, and and quite because it because it, it feels right. But again, don't be browbeaten into thinking you've got to do it one way if it really appeals to you to go contrary and do it the other way. That great gardener Christopher Lloyd was absolutely slated when he dug up his sunken rose garden and made it into an exotic tropical garden. It pleased him and he started a trend for tropical gardens. He got dahlias back into fashion when everybody thought they were now. Uh, Christo was a friend, I knew him well, and unfortunately and, and um, he didn't have a big go on French marigolds before he died, which if he had done, this we'd been okay with them as well. So, don't be too bowed down by other people's taste. Try and find your own and be brave enough to try it. And if it appeals to you and it's not offending anybody else, <laughs> go for it.
0: And actually, in many ways, um, you know, a smaller garden, maybe attached to a, a, a contemporary house or, a, a, you know, modern house, the expectations are less. It's absolutely about freedom then, isn't it? There's, there are fewer expectations than if you did live in a, you know, an old historic house.
1: Yeah, but you look at grand designs. I look at grand designs. I love grand designs. I get very impatient for the reveal at the end and inevitably, absolutely totally and completely horrified by the two blue glazed ceramic pots with clipped orbs of olive trees outside the front door it's the only thing they've ever done and it's horrendous and their imagination stops at the doormat when it comes to outside they've done this astonishing house and why people can't equate and you could say oh well they'd run out of money if they run out of money don't put anything there <laughs> don't mess up your glorious desire with i say this I have two lollipops of box outside the back door of our farmhouse, okay? So they're there. But it's when you start, uh, people's taste in gardens is good, clean lines, clean-limbed gardens I like. They can be as simple as you like. uh, But if they're messy, I suppose that's when I start to think, oh, it's just a mess, you know? So here are I saying do what you want and then slagging you off for doing it. Is that that the boy from the park's Department talking there? I don't know. That I I know, there's a lot of uh, the parks department ingrained in me. I do like striped lawns. (laughs) I still like striped (laughs) lawns. Guilty pleasure. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) Oh, not so guilty.
1: No, not at all. I mean, it's it's sleek, it's clean. And I'll keep working on them to see if I can get them back in fashion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you talked there about about Christo. You, so you talked there about Christo. And um, what about your other influences? And, and you know, how did he and, and who else influenced you? And what sort of things did you draw from, from others that you fed into your new garden?
1: If you ask, uh, I read columns in magazines written by... Um, Professional horticulturists and gardeners now. And there are some who have been their greatest influences. And of course, they're quite, you know. Christopher Lloyd, Beth Chateau, both of whom great influences on me, but also Percy Thrower was a great influence on me. I watched Percy Thrower, who then did Gardening Club and then the first presenter of Gardener's World, when I was in single figures. Um, the, the foreman, Ken Wilson at the Parks Department, was inspiring to me while I was there. And there have been lots of people along the way. It's very tempting to choose very sort of um, highly regarded men tours, there's people who've pointed you the way, you know, and Beth and Christo did, but later in life, you know, when I was already well on the way and they were both friends and I loved them to bits and they were very, I could never understand why they had any truck with me, it was only a lad from the Parks Department who was actually a very keen gardener and a bit of a plantsman, because, I know, I trained at Kew so I know me plants, but I just enjoyed their company and and anybody, there was a lady who lived locally here uh, in Hampshire called Mrs Pumphrey, funnily enough, Dan Pearson trained in her garden uh, and gardened with her. And she was just a lovely local lady who had a feel for plants. And people like that help you along the way. And in doing what I've done, particularly with broadcasting and going round gardens over the last, gosh, 40 years for television, I love any Keen amateur who's g- come and look at this, you know, they're the salt of the earth and they they're the fuel for gardening. You don't need to be anybody posh or a big name in horticulture to influence other gardeners. Grandfathers do. My granddad was the first man who took me out into on allotment, and I treasure a little picture I've got of me with him being led up through rows of his sweet peas, um, and that's it. And I think it's Im- it's implicit in all of us to pass it on. Alan Bennett's play The History Boys. There's a lovely line at the end. uh, It's talking about education, really, in the History Boys. Um, And Hector sort of comes back from the dead to sort of talk to his pupils. Um, And Hector says, Alan Bennett's words, you know, pass the parcel. That's sometimes all you can do. Pass it on. Not for me, not for you, but for someone, someday, somewhere Pass it on, boys. That's what you must do. And I think that's the way I feel about gardening. And I don't mind that people think I'm a populist, because I am, but I can still say clematis, viticella papuria, plena, elegans, and know what I'm talking about. But I want everybody to get that raw pleasure that I get from gardening without making it too intellectual.
0: You know, what what do you think is the legacy of of all the programmes that you've made? Well, I hope it's just stopped people being frightened
1: of it. Because I think gardening has a great magic. It doesn't need to have a mystery. I try and wipe away the mystery and retain the magic. And the dreams, going back to what we are saying at the beginning, it's all about dreaming. But I'm desperate for other people who don't necessarily, or are frightened of it, because they look. Like, oh, I don't know what to do, you know, I look at it and think, oh, gosh, um, well, where do I start? And my job is to take them by the hand and say, there, there, come along, have a look, and then hand them on to other people when they've made those initial strides. I make no apology for being a populist, because a populist's job... Is to, or populist aim is just to try and spread the word. Uh, and it's a magical world, the world of a garden. It is that world of dreams and nature. It's the sharp end of conservation and environment. And you can load all these things onto it if you want to make it really heavy and really um, a responsible thing to do, which it is. But you can also say, just look at the joy I get from this. Do you want a bit of it? This is, this is how you get And I just try and open people's eyes without being pretentious or pompous or and I, I know I got it in the neck, I still do get it in the neck for being a populist, I remember a, a lovely alpinist, I won't give her name because she, she was a great friend but she was one of the country's best alpine growers and I used to be on the rock and Alpine Group Committee of the RHS and she came up to you at one Chelsea Flower Show when Ground Force had started and she said, Mr Titchmarsh, what have you done? And I thought, well, what I've done is, is shown people what you can do in a little patch of ground. Um, all the work that I've done within it has been properly done. The ground's been dug properly. Things are very properly planted. It's not the gardening equivalent of the staple gun-making furniture approach. It's not like that. Everything is done properly. And my analogy, which is really rather trite and not terribly appropriate, but if you adopt a child rather than give birth to it, do you love it any the less? And the answer is no, of course you don't. It's the same if you go and make a garden for people in the space of a week. There you are. Here's your garden. Will they love it any the less? They will embrace it with open arms when they've been looking at a sheet of concrete, probably because they're either too poor to have done anything about it, the funds weren't there, too busy looking after somebody to do anything about it, uh, incapacitated through no fault of their own, so they've not been able to do it, and you gift them with a garden. You start them off and they can then pick it up. And if not wrong with it, because they can't, but they can certainly look after it and they can understand the benefits of having one and, and the, th- the therapeutic qualities of a garden. And I don't see what's to knock there, apart from getting more people interested in it than, than otherwise. And if you try to make gardening an exclusive pastime, I am not your man
0: and i think you've said you know linking to that i think you've said that one of the things that you look for most in a garden is is personality which mm. which i mean obviously you're creating very personal gardens for people in a really short time in love your garden and obviously in your own garden you've had longer to do that but you know how do you how do you get to that sense of personality because a lot of people listening to this will think oh okay i've got a space i've i've planted some things out i've maybe followed some planting plans but How do I make it mine? How do I make it my personality rather than copied from a, you know, copied from your ideas in a magazine? Well work out what you like looking at.
1: And if you've copied an idea from a magazine which actually don't like it very much, change it, move it until it appeals to you. And that's what personality is. Uh, gardens that are run by organisations are lovely, but they, they, they lack that individual personality that you get at uh, you know, High Grow, which is the Prince of Wales. I mean, he absolutely, his personality blossoms in that garden. You see what he likes, I mean, because it's very much, yes, he has help, but it's, he's initiating it and, and participating too, it. it's, it's his garden. Um, Christopher Lloyd's garden was 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 his garden. Um, make yours your own. Yes, start off with other people's ideas, and when we're doing love your garden, we're as I say gifting people with a garden which is done. But I've looked at them and trying to find out, try to find out what they like and what I think they would like. We leave it with them, and then they adjust it. I don't expect them to preserve it in aspic. The way I leave it, and that's the other thing about a garden: it is always work in progress. It's always moving. I've had great fun this year, not just tweaking a border, but completely clearing it and starting again. In fact, it was a row of conifers, and I've taken the conifers out and planted Japanese maples and hostas. I go out every morning to look at that bed, and it, and it's the end of the year. And I planted it in March, uh, and and that raw excitement comes as a result of. Having a complete makeover in a corner. And the word makeover has sort of become bad. That's mm. what gardening is. Gardening is doing a makeover of a piece of earth. And so to be sort of pompous and uh, I don't believe in makeovers, what else have you done then? You know, it might have been slightly slower. Um, and, and so if what he's criticising his speed, yes, OK, you're on a guiltiest charge, but God willing, all the stuff I plant will grow because it's been planted properly.
0: <laughs> and, uh, you you know, you've had the confidence, uh, and many people don't, to make big changes in your garden. You've taken things out. I mean, I can see from photographs five years ago, things are not there now. How do you judge when the right time when it is the right time to make those changes in your garden, you know? People again will be thinking, "Ah, it's too daunting."
1: Well, I go back to the mitherin', you yeah. <laughs> know, it starts off as a little germ. Ooh, that's that's not too good. And over the weeks, months, maybe a year or two, you know, that isn't improving, is it? It's not getting any better. Um, I'll just adjust. I'll take that bit out and that bit out. You don't know, think, oh, that'll be on. It's a sort of temporary measure. And I've got one big bed I've got to remake this winter because it's just, it's. I always say to people, it's like when you furnish a room, you put an armchair there, an armchair there, coffee table in the middle and a sofa here. You know you can go back to that room in 20 years' time. It might be a bit dusty, but they'll still be there and they'll still be the same size. Well, if they were out in the garden, the sofa would have grown this big. The two armchairs might have shrunk a bit. One would have lost an arm. They don't look the same. And all gardens, I often think they're looking at their best just before they start to go over the hill. Um, And you need to... Sometimes you can do it with a little bit of unpicking. Sometimes you really do need to do a wholesale, let's just clear that and start again. And it's daunting. It's always daunting. But bite the bullet. Chances are you won't remember what it looked like later on.
0: Brilliant, yes. So tell us about any regrets with the current garden. Anything that uh, you wish you'd have done differently and or would you just change it? I just changed it. I think in a way I've done
1: it. I mean, I don't look at... If there is a regret i do something about it. Um, And there's nothing that i have done which I thought, oh, oh, not true. Uh, There's um, there's a row of five Chinese dogwoods I've planted to make a sort of walkway down a path. And they replace a row of five Magnolia Wilsonii, which perished. And the dogwoods are coming out this autumn as well. I tried and I failed with both of that lot because they were just, and I've watered them, tried to keep them going. But there comes a point where you think you've got to get on your own now, sunshine. They're not happy. And I, I don't like to see unhappy plants and that's difficult when you get to that stage, because you are admitting defeat. You're admitting you got it wrong. They don't like it there. But sometimes the only way to find out if they will like it, if you've done all the other checks, if it's something like sun, put it in sun. But if you've done everything, you think, well, I think I might get away with it. Well, I didn't. So they're coming out this autumn. So odd regrets like that. But generally the layout of the garden I've been pleased with, because I work a lot on, even in a small space, and the garden immediately around the house, I work on axes. I do, there's a wind, from the room next to the kitchen which looks straight out at a big the only one of only two big trees in the garden when we came there's a yew tree and a a conker a chestnut tree walsh chestnut and it looks I found that the yew tree at the far end of the garden, was bang in line with this window. Oh, great. So I did a path running towards it with a white wire bench at the end of the path underneath the yew. It's the most uncomfortable thing to sit on, but it's the most wonderful focal point. It's absolutely on a line with this window. And if you do things like that, you know... That is always going to work because you've got the line right, and if you do these crossed vi- views and vistas, even in a plot that's twenty feet by forty feet, it works. It doesn't go wrong, and then you can fiddle inside it.
0: You've got such a lovely space there. What is it? Four acres. But what mm. amongst all of that? What what gives you the most pleasure?
1: It's funny, I had Penelope Hobhouse. Uh, I meet occasionally Penelope Hobhouse, and, and I was reading her talking. She was saying that the older she gets, the, the simpler she likes it. And I, I thought, and this was some years ago, and I've now realised I'm, I'm getting older as well because I agree. My, I think my greatest pleasure is the wildflower meadow, which is the simplest, if you like. I sowed it by hand. We had uh, When we came here, we had two acres. Uh, it was about an acre of garden and about an acre of... It was nettles and, and, and just a mess, really. And I then bought from the farmer next door two, two more acres uh, to make a proper wildflower meadow. And I sowed it by hand with a bucket and a seed fiddle, which broke halfway through. Um, and I, I watch it now. We've literally, this week, just cut it and people say, "Oh, there's such a lot of work, wildflower meadows, aren't they?" No, no, no. This one is three days' work. We cut it, take it off. That's the most important thing. Beginning of September, um, and then it's sort. And I mow rides through it all the time. Every week we, we mow the rides, and it's the same rides. And again, they are either on axes or or windy, but mainly they're angled because it's nice to have wildflower meadow with goose feet like Hampton Court. You look, you stand on one spot, you look straight ahead and there's one path running straight to the die. There's another one at an angle of about 45 degrees that way and 45 degrees left and right. And things like that please me. Um, and I sowed this, it must be getting on for 10 years ago now. I sowed this. It starts with cowslips in March and April. And we then go on to Marguerite's moon daisies. Um, and then come the knapweeds and the scabious and the vetches. And then the marjoram comes out in August and the whole thing turns purple. And then the seeds fall end of August, beginning of September. And then we cut it. And I just love... I like sunshine. I like woodland. And I've, I've worked above Barley Wood. We had about um, 35 acres of woodland, which I run as a nature reserve. And I like woodland, but I like being in the open. And I love a wildflower meadow. And we now have orchids popping up. And I got a bee orchid last year, which was wonderful. And that, I suppose, and looking out as I, I'm sitting at my desk, looking out over the wildlife pond that we dug, which is about would it be, about 20 metres by 20 metres, somewhere around 30 metres. It's a big pond with lilies, water lilies in the middle and a little rowing boat on it. And I just gaze at that and try and concentrate on writing <laughs> at the same time. So funnily enough, like Penelope Pass, like Penny Pass, I'm getting keener on the simpler things, really. And I'm looking at the garden now thinking, is that all a bit messy? And it's interesting, as you get older, I noticed my mother-in-law and my mum, they were older than I am now, they start having a kind of life laundry. They start giving stuff away. They don't want things. They don't want stuff anymore. And it's almost, it sounds maudlin, it's not really. It's kind of cleansing operation. It's, you know, I don't need this. And I'm wondering if my garden is going to become simpler. Because I was musing when we were away for a month on, there's a border that runs right alongside one of these terraces around the house. I thought, do you know, it's I've got Miquelmas daisies in it now. There were alliums in it earlier in the edit. What if I just put something really simple in there just a mat of something and and i thought oh hello the cleansing bit's coming early Ah. then
0: (laughs) do you think this is your last
1: garden then i don't know um I'd I'd like to think it my, well. You never want to say I'm never going to make another garden because I thought that, and then we got a little cottage on the Isle of Wight, and I made a seaside garden there, which has been delightful. And that's over the last sort of six years, so that's probably my my, my last garden. But I um, I don't know is the answer. You never know what's around the corner, and if suddenly work dries up and I I can't live here anymore, I can't afford to live in, live here. I, I may have to you know downsize. The children have flown the nest now. It's a it's a nice house. We don't rattle in it, but I could live somewhere. Smaller, but oh, I do love walking out into my little field uh, amongst my wildflowers. I don't know, is the answer. Um, The um, ability. I hope the ability, but certainly the excitement of making new plot has never gone away. And, of course, I get to do that with Love Your Garden. I do it all the time. So this is certainly not the last garden I'm going to make. (laughs) You know, I've got more to make for that. The last garden for me, maybe. And if it is, I'm very happy because I can keep adjusting it. I now know I can do new things here without having to move somewhere else. And I do like it here.
0: I think it's an amazing inspiration because there are so many elements to it.
1: It's always very scary when other people come around because I never know what... Because it is for me. I mean, it's, it's my gun. I may, I'm not making it show off. I'm making it to suit the house, going back to that genius of place, to suit me and my family's needs, but also to give me um, artistic pleasure if you like, um, aesthetic pleasure. I like beauty in a garden. We've actually made our veg patch bigger since we did that summer series called Grow Your Own at Home. Um, so we've now, we, we enjoyed Alison filmed it because we were in lockdown so it's just the two of us here and our veg patch is tiny, three big raised beds and I've now put another two in and we've made a bigger veg patch uh, and fruit patch, kitchen garden and I'm excited about that so um, I keep altering it and that gives me the shot in the arm but I... I it's it's very much where i want to be and uh, apart from the, the veg kitchen gun it's all about beauty mm-hmm. um and it is about beautifying that. We're in the beauty business, gardeners. You know, we we beautify the landscape, or I hope we do. And we're oft called in after the architect's made a mess to sort of soften it a bit. And, this. and I love that combination of hard landscaping softened by plant. I long to make a garden, on oh, love your garden or something like that, which is solely plants. There's not an ounce of hard landscaping, just to show that you can still achieve good line with plant material and not necessarily use stone or brick or steel?
0: We haven't seen the last of the Titchmarsh touch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I hope not. I mean, mainly because I enjoy it. I mean, you you can never, you've got to treat every day as your last, not not from any kind of morbidity, but you've got to make the most of every day. There's been a lot of talk recently about happiness, about it is a choice to be happy. Well, in the words of, of Evelyn War, up to a point, Lord Copper, I mean, there are those who are, have circumstances where they find it very difficult to be happy, and it's a bit, fatuous and trite to say, we can all choose to be happy, but you can improve your level of happiness and you can do it with a garden. And everybody has that opportunity to ameliorate their life, to have a little patch of paradise, even if it really is a pocket hanky. And I've met enough people over the years who have the tiniest gardens, but they're so intricate and so beautiful and have clearly given them so much pleasure and spiritual uplift uh, that I've learnt and been reinforced in my belief in the value of gardens as the most important thing, certainly in my life. And I'd like to think that I might have encouraged a few other people to understand, realise and enjoy that as well.
0: Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. And for more gardening tips and inspiration, why not try our new magazine subscription offer for podcast listeners? at buysubscriptions.com forward slash GW pod you'll also find our special offer in the podcast pages on gardenersworld.com where we also share more about today's themes so if you've enjoyed this episode please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app and we'll see you next time